Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. The gospel that we proclaim is good news. That's what gospel means. It's good news only if you believe that it offers the whole world a salvation by faith alone. If you think that the gospel offers the world salvation by faith, you might have really bad news, actually. If you believe it offers the world salvation by faith alone, you have good news. You have the best good news. This is the reason we are Faith Bible Church, Faith Matters, and why most of the year this banner over here reads, Faith Alone, Sola Fide in the Greek, Faith Alone. It is the alone piece of faith alone that makes the gospel good news. And if you lose the alone, which many people in the world have done, and Satan wants us to do. If you lose the alone, you do not have good news. You only have news. You don't have a gospel. You have spiel. You have something to talk about, but not much. Not anything else than anyone in any other religious system or irreligious system has. It's the alone that makes all of the difference. The work of Jesus Christ upon the cross was sufficient to cover all of our sins. All of them. It's his death not ours, but it requires that for any of us or anyone the whole world over, for them to participate, to receive the benefit of what happened on the cross, they must believe and only believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Then salvation is theirs, forgiveness is theirs, the Holy Spirit is theirs, eternal life is theirs. If they believe but do not only believe if they have faith, but not faith alone, you lose all of it. There are many today who really don't have any objection with saying we are justified or made right with God by faith, but it is the alone peace that is offensive. There are many who believe that if you tell people that they can have their entire record of guilt cleared immediately by nothing other than trusting from the heart, it's the meaning of belief, trusting from the heart in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished, then, say the objectors, people will go live however they want. It's too easy. If you don't require some standard of living of them, they'll just do whatever they want. That's too easy to have all your guilt removed by nothing, nothing other than faith in Jesus Christ. The reason this objection arises is that there are whole systems, whole ways of living and whole systems of belief that if this were true, salvation by faith alone plus nothing, whole systems would crumble to the ground. Systems that have been developed by people to try to get themselves in a good situation before God. Religious systems people's own way of thinking, how they can be good enough to get to heaven. All of that crumbles if we say none of it matters, salvation by faith alone. And so to those objectors, we say, let it crumble. Let every system in the world topple into the dust 
If only we may preserve this which is the essential cornerstone of everything we believe and hold dear as Christians, that salvation for us is by faith alone, nothing else. Keep your systems. Keep your techniques and strategies. We need Jesus Christ and we need to look to him, nothing else. That's faith alone. To those who say that this is too easy, I would say they've never tried it. <laughs> because if you are justified by faith alone, in some sense I suppose it is easy, but it's also one of the hardest things in the whole world. It was the reformer Martin Luther who wrote these words in a commentary on Galatians. Quote, the conscience always murmurs and thinks that this is too easy a way. Talking about your conscience. That by only hearing of the word, righteousness and the Holy Ghost and life everlasting is promised to us. That's too easy. But come once to an earnest trial of this and then tell me how easy a thing it is to hear the word in faith. The whole world, the devil, your own flesh, all conspire together to attack this one point of doctrine. They'll let you have almost anything else you want. Any other piece of doctrine. They'll leave it alone. If only you'll abandon this one. That today, if you are right with God, you are right with God because you have faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of the kind of day or the kind of week or the kind of year or the kind of life that you've had. But by faith in Jesus Christ, if you'll give that doctrine away, the devil will give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. That is the one doctrine upon which we as a church and Christianity stands are false. And so all the legions of darkness are arrayed against this point of doctrine. We don't always see life this way, but that's even what's happening in your life week by week. Your own sinful part that remains in you. Everything around you, the whole world system headed by Satan himself, constantly attacking this one wonderful truth that salvation is by faith alone. And therefore, if you're a believer, you know it's not easy to have faith alone. It's not easy in the face of eternity. When there is a trial that tests it, when death comes and darkens your doorway, when there is a short prognosis, when things that you hold to for joy in this world are taken away and you have to look to the world to come, it's not easy in that moment to say, despite all my sin, despite all my sinfulness, I have Christ and therefore with confidence I face the future because I will be accepted in the courts of heaven. That is not easy to do. On your sunny days, that's easy. But when the snow falls unexpectedly, as it did this week, it's not easy. Faith alone. Really, our whole Christian walk in life can be summarized as you growing in your confidence in that one fact, that you are right with God by faith alone. I say this because this is why you have the letter of Galatians in your Bible. Throughout the history of the church, this has been considered, if we're allowed to consider books in this ranking, but this has been considered one of the most important books in the Bible just like Romans share similarities with that book in that it helps us put all the rest of the Bible together and understand it. And I have subtitled this series in Galatians that we're beginning today, For Freedom Set Free, I'm drawing from the beginning of chapter 5 where Paul says that phrase. But the idea is that if you have faith alone in Christ, you truly believe in him alone for your salvation, 
you are free. More free than anyone in the whole world. And we'll see how that plays out as we study this. But on the other hand, if you try to add anything, any requirement apart from faith to salvation, you are enslaved and you lose everything. That's why, as you'll see in Galatians, Paul speaks more firmly, directly, and in some cases harshly in this letter than almost anywhere in the Bible because he doesn't want you to lose the gifts that you have through faith alone. So let's look at the first two verses. Like I said, we'll springboard off of them and get an overview of this whole letter. But let's look at those first two verses. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. We will pause there. We'll consider the Father who raised him from the dead next week. But the rest of these verses are a helpful springboard into the rest of this letter. We really have two tasks to accomplish this morning. This isn't um, the way I typically preach a passage because I'm usually focused on one word after another, but getting an overview of Galatians is going to help us with every passage we study from here on out. So we're doing things a little different here as an introduction. I'm going to use these words, but we're really gonna be looking at two things. One is we need the setting, best we can tell, of this letter. This is a letter that was really written 2,000 years ago by someone to someone at a certain time. We're going to do the best we can to understand the setting of this letter. Then secondly, we want to summarize this letter, its message. What is it actually saying? So we'll come to that afterwards, just very briefly overview the letter and give you a summary of its message. So, but let's begin here with the setting of Galatians. It's going to help you understand this letter as we preach it ongoingly. I want to make a little note, a caveat, as we get started here, because we're considering, when I say setting, we're considering historical setting or historical background. And this is great. Anytime you study a book of the Bible because it's in history, you should always give some thought to what is the historical background. Sometimes you learn about that background from the Bible itself. We'll be referencing the book of Acts often as we're studying Galatians. However, much of the historical background that helps us when we're reading the Bible does not come directly from the Bible itself. Because it happened in history, God has gifted certain persons within the church, broader church, to go and spend their life as historians to understand the cultural historical context 2,000 years ago when this was written. And we depend upon them somewhat. We read their books. We hear their teachings. They help us. They cast light upon the text by helping us understand because you probably don't just live your life and happen to know customs of the first century Middle East, right? So we need some of that outside information that really helps us study scripture. But I want to give a caveat here, which will help you in any book of the Bible you study. It needs to be clear in your mind that the Holy Spirit has inspired the text you have on your phone or between the covers of your Bible, and he has not inspired 
the historical background that you receive from other sources. As important as that is, it's not inspired. So when we're considering the setting historically of this, keep in mind what I'm sharing, if it's from Scripture, totally true 100%. If it is a historical observation that's probably true, it's just probably true. And that makes some people uncomfortable because some of you like to be very certain about everything. I apologize, but you can be very certain about the text that we'll look at in a second. So I do want to give you that caveat. Sometimes people get confused and think the historical background is Scripture. And if someone disagrees with the historical background, heresy. No, 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 no. We're going to do the best we can with God's help and good reason to know the historical background, to shine light on the text but it is the text itself that is inspired. Okay, that is the background here. I say that in part, if you wonder why we give that aside, to set you free if you've ever had the feeling as you start reading commentaries and hearing very smart people talk about the Bible, you may get the feeling, I guess I just can't understand the Bible myself because I don't have a PhD in the ancient Near East, you know? I don't know all of this background information and I've got kids to raise and a job to work, so I never can, so I'll just leave it to other people to study it and I'll just hear from them. Please don't do that. Scripture's for you. And you have the inspired text before you just like anyone else does, okay? So I just want you to have confidence in the text, even though we're going to look now at some of the historical background. So let's do that. The very first word in this book is Paul. You can see that right there. Paul, an apostle. You are used to writing letters or I guess emails now and putting your name as the author at the end. Yours truly, your name. But in the ancient Near East, you would put your name at the very beginning. And that's what's happened here. Who is the author of Galatians? It is Paul, an apostle. And we know this man. Just as a brief recap for you so that you remember who Paul is, we read his story in Acts, and we also find it here in Galatians and scattered throughout his letters because he wrote most of the New Testament for us. But you remember that Paul was originally named Saul. He was a zealous young Jewish man. He was excelling in Judaism, the traditions of his fathers beyond his contemporaries. You'll see that in Galatians. He was so zealous for his version of Judaism that when he saw this new way, Christianity arising after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he saw it as a threat to Judaism and he would not tolerate it. So Saul young man, zealous, begins hunting down Christians. He goes from town to town, hunts them down, has them arrested, casts his vote to have them killed. He hates Christians. When the first martyr, Stephen, is martyred, Saul is there watching the coats. So he was a violent, murderous, terrorist type of a young person. Then one day he's on his way to Damascus in order to arrest Christians there to have them destroyed. And you remember the story, story on the Damascus road, a light shines from heaven. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul gets up, goes into Damascus blind, receives his sight, goes into Damascus as Saul the terrorist, comes out of Damascus as Paul the Christian. And he begins proclaiming the faith of the Christians that he was sent to Damascus to have arrested and killed. 
and everyone is shocked. But it's through a direct revelation of Jesus who commissions him there in Damascus for his apostleship. He becomes like an apostle lately born, not one of the original 12 who walked with Jesus, but it was Jesus himself who appeared to him, and that will be very important. You know that will be important because just look here in verse 1. Paul usually says something about himself in the introduction like a servant or an apostle, but here he adds this note, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Meaning, I was on my way to Damascus and Jesus himself ripped open the sky and said, I'm sending you out as an apostle to the nations to bring them the message of the gospel. We're going to see when we get to the message of Galatians that that is one of the major parts of the message in the first two chapters. That Paul uh, was not sent from men, he was sent from God. What followed Paul, Saul, now Paul, what followed Christian Paul's conversion were three missionary journeys. And if you have a paperback or a hardbound or leather-bound Bible, you can usually flip to the back, find those little maps, and you can trace the three missionary journeys that Paul took. His whole ministry in Acts can be summarized by these three journeys. And you'll see, if you look at that map, the first one goes like this, the second one goes like this, and the third one goes like this. Each time, Paul goes further out because he was sent by Jesus to go out away from Palestine and the Jewish people out to the nations, the Gentiles who were non-Jewish. That was Paul's specific apostleship or calling. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so he travels out, bringing the gospel message with him, planting churches everywhere he went. After he returns from his third missionary journey back to Palestine, then to Jerusalem, he's arrested, wrongly charged, arrested uh, when he's at the temple. He appeals to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen, and he sets sail all the way for Rome. And things happen out there, but the end of the matter in Rome is that he's beheaded for the faith. That is Paul. And as he's doing all of that, he wrote 13 of the letters of the New Testament, including this one, Galatians. Uh, you can see if you look in verse 2, he says he's writing with, quote, all the brothers who are with me. Again, we have the text. You can guess who that is. He often speaks of people with him like Timothy or Barnabas or Silas. If he's writing from a location like maybe the church at Ephesus or Antioch, maybe he's referring to the believers around him there. This church sends greetings. He often does that. We don't know. You don't know and I don't know. We have the text. There are brothers with him and they also send their greetings. So there's Paul. Just a refresher, you know him. Next, look at this, verse 2. To the churches of Galatia. All right, here's the best we can do with the history of this. Now, we know where the region of Galatia was, almost without any doubt, approximately. If you go to modern-day Turkey, you will find where Galatia was. The Galatians were related to the Gauls, Galatia, Gaul, and the Celts, and they had migrated down to what's modern-day Turkey. And there was a large region, a large area that stretched all the way down to the Mediterranean Sea, and there was the ethnic people known as the Galatians. But here's where we run into a bit of a problem. Because of the Romans, 
The Romans had come in and by the time of Jesus had conquered all the ethnic people just about everywhere in the known world and turned their areas into provinces that were ruled over by Rome. So you have an ethnic people, the Galatians, who inhabit the northern part of a region in Turkey. Then you have the province of Galatia, which includes that, but stretches down south to the Mediterranean. Okay? Didn't think you'd have a history lesson today? Well, you've got one. The question that we don't really know the answer to is when Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, there's more than one, so churches in this region, is he writing to these northern churches, the ethnic region historically known as the Galatians, or is he also including what the province by the Romans, the province would include in Galatia, which stretches down south? You say, I don't care. <laughs> well, here's why we care. Because in the book of Acts, at least three cities in the southern region of Galatia, three cities which then would have churches, are named. And they are Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. And Lystra and Derby, those are the cities from which comes Timothy, one of Paul's greatest helpers. And Paul evangelized those cities in South Galatia during his first missionary journey and then revisited them later. So the reason it matters if we're talking about North Galatia or South Galatia is if we're talking about the southern part and those churches in Lystra, Derby, Iconium, then this is probably the earliest letter of Paul that we have. Most likely written immediately after his first missionary journey, or maybe at the beginning of his second missionary journey, which is significant. It's not so significant that you can't understand the book without knowing if it's the north or the south. There are two places in the book of Acts where Paul later in his second, third missionary journeys is said to go into the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. Okay, so he could have gone to the north then. It would just put this letter later on. I'm of the opinion that he's referring to South Galatia, the province, and that includes Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and that therefore this is a very early letter that Paul wrote. Really, I think it's the first one he wrote. If it's the first one that Paul wrote, it's the first letter written in your New Testament. So the Gospels came a little afterward. So this is the very first letter probably that we have written in the New Testament, very early after that first missionary journey. If you can endure with me just a little bit further, when we get, if we're trying to put then a more specific date on this, when was this written? When we get into the second chapter of Galatians, you're going to find that Paul says that after 17 years, so he's converted 17 years later, it's 14 years there, but it's counting another three from before, 17 years after his conversion, he goes up to Jerusalem and sets the gospel before him to combat the Judaizers. There is a question that we'll address later, so we don't overwhelm this message, but there's a question we'll address, which is, is that visit to Jerusalem at the beginning of Galatians 2, Paul referring to the Jerusalem council of Acts chapter 15? So stay tuned, and we will talk about that. I think that it is, and that's been the traditional view. And if it is, why does that help us? We can say fairly confidently that the Jerusalem Council happened around AD 49, at the end of Paul's first missionary journey. So if we want to date the letter to the Galatians, the best I can offer you is that it was probably written 
right, it has to be after, if we think Galatians 2 is about the Jerusalem council, it has to be after that. I would say it's right after that. We're probably talking 80, 49, or 50. Just think of that. Jesus' own life was 80, 30, 33. This is only 20 years later. Paul writes this letter to us. So there is your historical background for those who really love that. And it will help us a little bit. We'll refer to it as we go along. But again, it's not the text. It's the context. It's the historical background. It's not inspired. Maybe it wasn't written in AD 50, and maybe he wasn't writing to South Galatia. That's okay. We can be wrong there. But that's the best that I can do with it. And I think that is true, that this is really the background of what was happening there. So, there is your historical background. You can find quite a lot of resources almost everywhere in the United States that will help you know more if you're interested. But that's the minimum I think you need to know to appreciate what we're going to read as we study Galatians. Let's move then from that background or context into the text itself. What I want to do is give you a very brief, almost, it should almost be against the law how brief, but a very brief overview of one of the richest books in the New Testament, Galatians. This is kind of like there was an author one time who was asked about her book, if you could summarize your book in a few words, what would it be? And her response was, if I could summarize it in a few words, I wouldn't have written a book. And that is how I feel now, trying to summarize Galatians, but we'll see what we can do. Let me just give you the big picture first. I hinted at it in the introduction. Galatians is primarily about being right with God by faith alone. When Paul had planted the churches, which I think were in South Galatia there, and then left, shortly afterward, a group came in that you're going to get tired of hearing about. We heard about the Gnostics in studying 1 John. Now, buckle in and get used to hearing about the Judaizers. These are the false teachers who snuck into the churches after Paul left. They came to the believers who had trusted in Jesus Christ and said, it's really wonderful that you trusted in Jesus. We're all about that. Hooray. Paul's right. That's great. Good. But Paul's wrong about this. Paul says, now you Gentiles don't have to act like Jews, but the Jews are God's only people. So if you want to really be a full-fledged member of God's people, you need to get circumcised and you need to keep the Mosaic law, including dietary restrictions and so forth. It's the only way. Otherwise, you can't really be brought into this new collection of people called Christians. That's what's happening when Paul writes this letter. And Paul writes about those people who are saying that. He says, may they be cursed by God with eternal damnation and may they mutilate themselves. So I'll leave it to you to read between the blanks there. He's a little unclear. No, he's very clear that if you add anything to faith alone in Christ for salvation, you lose the gospel. That's why Paul writes firmly, strictly, strongly in this letter against the Judaizers. And he is basically begging the Galatian Christians, do not listen to them. Salvation is not by faith plus being Jewish, faith plus circumcision, faith plus dietary restrictions, faith plus keeping Sabbaths and festivals. Salvation is by faith alone. And that is going to be this entire letter, him just saying that over and over and over again. That's the summary of the whole. Let me give it to you in three parts. And here's the beauty of Galatians and of studying Paul is when we read 1 John and studied that, 
I couldn't quite give you much of an outline of the whole because it worked in circles. We had three tests and we went over and over and over. But Paul is a lot more methodical. And so it's actually very easy to break this letter into three parts. And it's so convenient, two chapters per part, leading to six chapters in the whole. So let me give you those three parts of this letter that we're going to study about the gospel of faith alone. And you could summarize these as where, what, and how. It's easy. We're going to spend two chapters on where, two chapters on what, two chapters on how. What do we mean by that? Chapters one and two are going to be about where did Paul get this idea that salvation's by faith alone? Where'd it come from? And you see that in verse one of our text, he's going to say it's not from people. He's an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. That will come up in chapters one and two over and over. Paul is going to give a bit of a historical background of himself, some of his own biography, which we also find in Acts, to explain to the Galatians, because what seems to have happened is the Judaizers said, oh, what Paul said's great, but he's a little off. And he's a little off, you can't blame him, because I mean, he's a, an apostle who wasn't even with Jesus. Everything he knows, he got secondhand from the other apostles. He just went up to Jerusalem, they fed him, spoon fed him, here's the gospel, and he's just regurgitating it. So that's why he's a little off. So two chapters here, Paul is going to be saying, I didn't get my message from Peter or any of the apostles, my message came from Jesus. And if you don't believe that that really happened, how do you explain the fact that I used to violently persecute the church of God to destroy it, and now here I am today preaching it? Something happened. He says, what happened is that Jesus appeared to me on my way to Damascus, himself gave me this gospel of faith alone, said, tell it to the Gentiles. Paul wants to make so clear that this is not something he just got spoon-fed from Peter or the apostles, that at the end of chapter 2, he's even going to talk about how there was a time that Peter came to his turf at Antioch and Paul rebuked him publicly because he wasn't walking in step with the true gospel. Paul is not a crony of Peter or the apostles. He is an apostle in his own right. And his message of salvation by faith alone, whatever the Judaizers may say, came to him where? Came to him from Christ a revelation. That'll be the first. Then chapters three and four will be what? They are going to tell us, okay, you got your message from Jesus. Great. What is the message? The message is salvation comes by faith alone without the addition of any works. That's the what. Chapter three begins with the famous line, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was the Judaizers who came with their faith plus Jewish things. And therefore, Paul meets the Judaizers on their own ground in these chapters, says, fine, let's go to the Old Testament scriptures and see what it says. He starts with Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, and says, how was Abraham justified? Genesis 15, 6, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Not he obeyed, not he kept a law which didn't even exist yet. He obeyed God, he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is going to say, okay, Judaizers, and you who listen to them, if you think keeping the Jewish law will make you right with God, then you've got to keep all of it. Because the Jewish law itself says, cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by everything written in the law. 
Then he turns to the gospel and says, that's why Jesus died on a cross. He became a curse for us because we couldn't keep the law. Then he'll return to Abraham and say, listen, you think the law of Moses is the way you get right with God? It came 430 years after Abraham received promises of salvation. That law cannot get rid of promises made 430 years before. Paul's going to talk about that. The Judaizers would respond, of course, and say, well, okay, if the law is not supposed to make us right with God, if we're not saved by faith plus law, why do we have a law? And Paul will answer that by saying the law was a tutor, a guardian for the Jewish people. It was to instruct us, prepare us, show us our inability, point us toward Jesus as the fulfillment of the law so we trust in him. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus, born under the law, fulfilling it so that we are not under a guardian. We are grown children now. So don't try to go back into what was before. You'll see as well a very famous passage that's an allegory of Sarah and Hagar. I'm not even going to touch it right now for sake of time, but it will be very fascinating where Paul's making that same point. Where does the gospel of faith alone come from? Jesus. What is it? Faith alone plus no works, no Jewish anything, faith alone in Jesus Christ. Third, how? Chapters 5 and 6 will simply be saying, if that's true and you've believed in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, how do you work that out? Do you just go sin all you want? Do whatever you want? Paul will say, no. Because if you trust in Jesus for salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. You are set free by the Spirit. You are made a child of God. You cry, Abba, Father, you want to obey. He's going to talk about you still have flesh that wants to sin, but you have the Spirit within you, and these are fighting against each other. But the Spirit is producing in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That's why those who are completely free and guiltless in Christ by faith also live holy lives because they have the Holy Spirit within them. And then Paul will make this glorious point, practical for us, which is, how do you walk this out? If you don't have massive religious systems with long lists of external rules to keep and regulations and festivals and feast days, if you don't have that, you're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, what are you gonna do with your life? What are you gonna do with all the time that frees up? You don't have to labor to justify yourself before God. You don't have to be on your best behavior to get right with God. What are you going to do with your life? Here's what Paul says. Through love, serve each other. Through love, serve each other. Or he puts it this way. Circumcision's nothing. Uncircumcision's nothing. Only faith working through love. You are free. For freedom, he will say, Christ has set you free. Why? So you can sin? No. You have the Holy Spirit. You are set free completely from worrying about your status before the Lord so that you can just focus on meeting the needs of the people around you with joy. <sighs> For freedom set free. That's why you've been set free. This is the message that we need. And the Lord always works this out. It's not about my planning or anything, I assure you. The Lord always works it out that we have exactly the texts we need when we need them as a church. And I do believe this is the message we need right now. You need to be absolutely convinced. Say, I'm not tempted to be Jewish. Maybe not. 
but you are tempted to add to faith a list of requirements that make you feel better about your salvation. You are right with God by faith alone in Jesus Christ and nothing else. If you really deeply believe that, then you are set free by the Spirit to kill your sin, to live a holy life, and to love the people around you. And our prayer will be over the next weeks that the Lord will help us to understand the inspired text and to live this way. <laughs>